You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Amen. Real fun to be together this way, isn't it? I think that we have some kinks to work out, but it's going to be a joy just to continue to grow and stay connected as a family. I want to say good morning. Uh, it's Really fun to start this. This is our, our first practice service, so hopefully we'll get ready, and then uh, ne- starting next Sunday, we'll be opening up to the whole church. Um, we do have a couple of visitors, I uh, know, and that one that I already met, and we'll probably have some online. I want to introduce myself. My name's Justin. I serve as the associate pastor at Midtown, and just want to say I'm really glad uh, that you're here with us, those in person, and glad that you who are joining us on the online community are with us as well. Uh, we're continuing to teach through the book of Ephesians together in a series that we're calling The Gospel And. And so today we're going to look at something I'm calling the gospel and activism. We're really going to look specifically at the life of Paul, the one who wrote this book of Ephesians, and how his relationship with Jesus and what Jesus did to him and how the gospel changed his life made him an activist, specifically an activist that tried to bring peace between Jew and Gentile. And what was the story behind that? That's what we're going to look at today. Um, It's kind of an interesting chapter, actually, in chapter 3 is a weird chapter within the book of Ephesians because... It starts off with one little phrase that we'll look at here in a minute, and then it's basically like a long parenthetical note. It's like Paul goes on like a little bit of a tangent before he picks back up what he was going to say in chapter 4. So chapter 1 starts this way, for this, is the, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the sake of you Gentiles, then you've got a dash, and this whole idea of this, for this reason, he's pointing back to chapter 2. And I hope you enjoy the last couple of weeks that we've been in chapter 2, where chapter 2, one of the greatest passages in all of Scripture, where Paul describes how all mankind was dead in their sins apart from God, but because of God's great love and His grace in Jesus, He's made a way for us to be reconciled to Him. And not only is He made a way for us to be reconciled to Him, He's actually brought a way for us to be reconciled with one another. And specifically in chapter 2, it talks about how Jews and Gentiles now were grafted into what he calls one new humanity. That's the great news of chapter 2. And so Paul's saying, now for this reason, because all that stuff's true, and then he's about to start saying something, but then there's this long dash, and he just goes on like a tangent before he picks it up in chapter 4. And the first verse of chapter 4 says this, as a prisoner of the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you received. So Pretty similar starts to both of those. So essentially what we have here in chapter 3 is a long little tangent where Paul gets personal about some things about himself as well as personal about the way that he's praying for others. And so we're going to have a good time this week looking at the first part of it and next week looking at the last part of it. But I want to draw your attention to one thing in chapter 4 because when he says, for this reason, all this stuff that was true in chapter 2, for this reason I want you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. And he gives them this, this command that I want you to think about today. The command in chapter 4, verse 3, is to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now think about that. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I want to say that this was like a theme of Paul's life. This was a major motivator. It's what made him an activist for peace because he knew all these things were true and how God had created one new man and reconciled Jew and Gentile. But now he's going to say in chapter 4, which we'll get there in a few weeks, live it out. Like if all this stuff is true, then practice disunity. So I want you to think about that today. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now we're going to look at his tangent. In his tangent, we're going to find out three things. We're going to find out a little bit about Paul. We're going to find out what he believes about the gospel. And then we're going to find out what he believes about the church. So if you're taking notes and want to follow, those will be the three things. What does this say in this little tangent that he goes on here? What does it say about Paul? 
What does it say about his thoughts on the gospel? And what does it say about the church? And I'm going to start with Paul, and this is going to kind of a little bit be more of a history. So we're not going to stay just totally in Ephesians. I want to really kind of tell the history of Paul's life. So we're going to be looking back at a lot of other verses through Acts and the things that God did and how the gospel actually changed him and made him motivated to be a peacemaker. And so we'll be bouncing around a lot lot of different places, but we'll start here in the first part of chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, here's here's the tangent, there's this dash, Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written about briefly. In reading this then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has been revealed by God's Spirit, by, by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. What does Paul say here first about himself? He's saying that he believes that he was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And not only that, that God had given him a very special revelation, and this revelation was this mystery, which we'll talk about next, but he was given a special revelation, what he calls actually an administration of grace, that God had given him something special to take to the Gentiles. Now, I know you guys, many of you have been going to church for a while, so you might know a little bit about Paul, but I want to refresh us a little bit on his story because we know his name used to be Saul. And Saul was one of the first persecutors of the church, that he oversaw people being imprisoned, people being beaten, and people being killed because of their Christianity, because of their faith and their following Jesus. This was the guy who, on his way to go persecute some more Christians, was kind of struck down by God. He was blinded, literally, and was made to, to talk with God and say, why are you persecuting me? And it was that moment that it changed Paul's life. And then God spoke to him to say, you are going to be the apostle that now goes to the Gentiles. This was the calling. Now, Paul, when he was describing this this, uh, incident and the things that happened to a group of people at another time in Acts chapter 22, he he actually goes into a little bit more detail of this story. Because here's this guy that persecuted the church, and when he first tries to go back to Jerusalem, he kind of has this thought, like, I might not be welcome there. (laughs) Like, they might not believe my story of my conversion. They might think that I'm just doing some trick to go persecute them again. And so when he's telling another crowd of people about what happened to him, what Jesus did uh, to him, and describing this trip back to Jerusalem, here's what he says in Acts 22. He says, when I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple, and I fell into a trance. I saw the Lord speaking to me, quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately, because the people here will not accept your testimony about you. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of the martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So he's recounting that now he needs to go and get out of there. And God sends him to the Gentiles where he actually begins to share the gospel and see many Gentile people come to have faith in Jesus. Barnabas hears about it, this other guy, and then he goes and joins Paul on this mission, and they end up in Antioch together, where you have really the first multicultural church that emerges, because so many Jewish and Gentile believers were coming to faith that now you had this brand new church that was multi-ethnic, and he ministered there for a while until then they actually decided that Antioch church was growing. They said, well, no, we want to send you, Paul and Barnabas, out to other cities, and this is where Paul's missionary movement started, and what happened was that more and more Gentile believers became, or Gentiles became believers. And as they put their faith in Jesus, it started to raise questions about how do we get along with Jews and Gentiles? And it takes us to what was really called the actual first church council, you could call it. You can read about it in Acts chapter 15, 
where the apostles and Paul and Barnabas go back to speak with them. And what that question was, what was the gospel that Paul and Barnabas were preaching? And more importantly, what did it mean to the relationship now between Jews and Gentiles since all these multi-ethnic churches were getting started? In the book of Galatians, uh, Paul actually summarizes what came out of that meeting. You've got all the apostles now meeting together, deciding what to do about Jew and Gentile relationships. And here's what he says happened in Galatians chapter 2. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, that means the Gentiles, and Peter to the circumcised, meaning the Jewish people. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as apostle to the Gentiles. James and Cephas, that was another name for Peter, so James, Peter, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship as they recognized the grace that had been given. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we continue to remember the poor, the very thing that I was eager to do all along. I want you to hang on to that last verse for just a second because we'll come back to it, but this idea of that they, all they asked was to continue to remember the poor. We're going to come back to that. But here, I just want you to see here, this was, this was what Paul was writing about in Ephesians 3. He's saying this happened where I had this message and this vision to go to the Gentiles and we did all this work with the Gentiles. And then when we came back, Peter and James and John, they said they gave me the right hand of fellowship and they agreed that I was to go continue to do the ministry, me and Barnabas, to the Gentiles. All they asked was they'd continue to care for the poor. So what is Paul saying about himself when I give you kind of that backstory? Because when he's talking to the Ephesians, he's talking to a church that he'd actually been with for several years. So they knew this story. He even says it in those first few verses that we read that you guys are familiar with the story. What he was saying is, I was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles. God gave me a specific revelation of the mystery of how, we're going to see in a minute, how God brings Jew and Gentile together. And this was confirmed by the apostles. It was confirmed by others. That's what Paul believes about himself, that he is called to be the Gentiles and God had given a special administration of grace to unite the Jew and the Gentile. Which brings us to our second point. When Jesus talks, when Paul writes about the gospel bringing peace between races like we saw in chapter 2. He summarizes it again, though, here in verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of grace given to me through the working of his power. Although I'm less than the least of the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden, who, uh, hidden in God who created all things. It's right there in verse 6. What's the purpose? So what is this mystery? The mystery is that through the gospel, Gentiles become heirs together with Israel. The God, like we read in all of chapter 2, this mystery that the Jew and the Gentile were grafted into one family, that there was a new humanity that was created called the body of Christ. This is something that Paul believed, and it made him an activist because he wanted to see people live out this kind of unity between the races. Because we've said before that Jews had a history of not liking the Gentiles, and the Gentiles not liking the Jews. Even the different Gentile groups didn't like each other. They were divided much like we are by race, religion, class, and culture. But we learned is this administration of grace is this mystery that, that in Christ we become a new humanity, a new people, a new allegiance to him 
as our head. It was hidden from the Jews and God because they thought that they were alone were the people of God. It was hidden from the Gentiles because they thought they were excluded from the people of God. But in this new administration of grace, God was bringing them together. And I believe this was what made Paul an activist. Like he was so moved by this reality and what he had seen in the churches that he had planted that he was constantly going to try to get Jew and Gentile to live together as one people and to live into this new humanity. When Paul said, like I mentioned, just going into chapter 4, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, that wasn't just a command that he was giving to other people. It was something that he practiced. He made every effort to try to bring unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. In fact, he wrote this book of Ephesians, which the reason we keep talking about unity is because that's what so much of this book is about. Paul loved it. He lived it. And he was trying to convince people constantly to live in unity of the Spirit. In fact, you could look at the other books of the Bible. It's not just Ephesians where it's so prevalent. You can look to Romans where there's two chapters where Paul's talking about how in Romans 14 and 15, how Jew and Gentile should respect each other's different convictions that they have. And he ends that uh, argument by saying this, something very similar to what we read in Ephesians. Let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. He wrote in 1 Corinthians several chapters about Jews and Gentiles being reconciled. And he concluded his argument this way. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greek or the church of God. Guys, I could go like on and on about how this was something that Paul was passionate about. He was an activist because of what the gospel had done in him and what he'd seen it do in others. And he's trying to bring peace in his activism. And ultimately, this activism ended him in prison. Paul actually wrote these words that we're talking about today while in prison for his activism. Because remember that last phrase that I told you that when they had the, the, the Jewish council with the, with they all got together and he was given their message, they said, the only thing that we ask is that you continue to, to minister to the poor. Well, if you don't know this, one of the things that Paul did on some of his last missionary journeys, he says he's making his way back to Jerusalem. He was doing a fundraising campaign, raising money from the more wealthy Gentile churches, trying to bring money back to the church in Jerusalem. He was doing it because he was commanded to. He agreed to it in that first council. He was doing it because there was a need. But far more than that, he was trying to raise all this money as a peace offering to help bring the people together. You get a glimpse of Paul's heart when he's actually writing. If you go to first or 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, that's the chapter where he's actually writing those chapters. He's writing the Corinthians and saying, look, I'm about to make my way to Jerusalem. You guys should have your money ready because <laughs> I'm on this campaign. Y'all need to get prepared. And you get an idea of what his real heart is in doing this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, the service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you've proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession and of everyone else. And in their prayers for you, this is the verse to highlight, in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace that God has given you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Yeah, he was doing it to be faithful to what he said he would do. He was doing it to meet a real tangible need. But more than that, what Paul was doing by raising this money and bringing it to Jerusalem was to try to create a peace offering. He was trying to do something to help practically. He was trying to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And ultimately, when he arrived in Jerusalem with the gift... They took him captive and they accused him of, of bringing a Gentile into the temple. So all the things that he had labored for, he ultimately ends in prison. 
And it didn't happen, the unity that he wanted, at least not among the Jewish, not Christian Jewish people. But that's the kind of activism that I wanted, to see, wanted you guys to see was in Paul's heart, the way that he was trying to make peace between these two people. Now, why? Why was it so important to him? You see it in verse 10 back in Ephesians 3. It's because of what it meant for the church. His intent, and this his here is referring to God. God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom, should be, wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings which are for your glory. It's right there. What was God's intent? God's intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the world, both spiritual forces as well as on earth. This word manifold is only used once in Scripture. It's right here. And this idea, it's kind of more translated like multifaceted or multicolored, but it's even got like a, a prefix in front of it. So it's more like multi-multicolored or multi-multifaceted. It's words supposed to indicate beauty. Like this is what the body of Christ is supposed to look like. When you see a reconciled people, a new humanity come up from the earth, you're supposed to take notice and say, man, God is amazing. That's what the manifold wisdom is. It testifies to the angels because it says elsewhere in Scripture that the angels themselves have been looking for the redemption of God's people. It testifies even to the demons in the, in the demonic world as we learn from other Scriptures that when Christ was on the cross that they were disarmed of all of their powers. Our unity is supposed to be a testimony to the glory of God and the goodness of God. The manifold wisdom of God. Because Paul, I think, believed that God was most glorified when we're most unified. That God's most glorified when the church is most unified. And Paul wasn't alone in this conviction. Like, I love that we have the longest recorded prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17. That that night when he was praying for his disciples, and then he later prays for us, which we'll look at in a minute. The disciples were there to overhear his prayer and the very last thing that he prays when he's praying this prayer, the night before he dies, Jesus prays this in John 17. My prayer is not for them alone, meaning the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. See, Jesus prayed for us. And his prayer was that we would have the kind of oneness that there is existent in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It almost sounds blasphemous kind of unity, that kind of unity. And why did Jesus pray it? He says it right there at the end, that they may be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Like this manifold wisdom of God and the body of Christ, a new humanity with Jesus as the head, people from all different places and backgrounds and political views and backgrounds and races and everything, every culture, every class. When we're united in that way, Paul was convinced that God would be more and more glorified as we become more and more unified. And so he was an activist. He tried and he gave his life for trying to see this happen. And so I want to appeal to us today that we would be activists for peace that we would look from Paul's example, his passion of how the gospel 
changed him and his view of how he thought that we were united under one man, and let's do the same. Let's make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Can you imagine how powerful it would be to see a very diverse and united church loving each other? Can you imagine how powerful it would be if, if Midtown in our city of Austin saw Midtown and saw us as a united people with different political beliefs, different skin colors, different convictions about COVID. I look at those three, three things as like the trifecta of, of division in our lives, COVID and race and politics. What if we could display the manifold wisdom of God by making him our head and agreeing together, uniting together, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So in Ephesians 2, we learned that God's purpose in the gospel was to create one new family, one new humanity, destroying the wall of hostility. And now in Ephesians 3, what we learn about is his purpose in the church. His purpose in the church was to display the manifold of wisdom of God in the world. And I want that for us, particularly in this time and the day that we live in. I want our friends to see the manifold wisdom of God from a church of Midtown that makes every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So I want Paul's story to inspire you. I want the gospel to inspire you, to make you be willing to do that work in our church during this season. I want to get just a little practical to give you some ideas of what at least what I think in our day, in our age, it looks like to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I think at least these five things are right steps toward doing that. First would be to build friendships with people that are different from you. Friendship changes things. It's a lot easier to vilify someone or write off someone's opinions when you don't know them, let alone when you have actual affection for them. Make friends with people that are different from you. Even if you don't talk about your differences, that's okay. Second thing I'd command is to seek to understand different viewpoints. Ask questions. Don't necessarily debate. Just try to understand the other side of an argument from someone who has a different view than you. Seek to understand. Third, and maybe most importantly, <laughs> debate ideas, but don't slander people or people groups. Pretty big, uh, <laughs> pretty big problem in our day, I would say. Talk about different ideas, but don't resort to name-calling and labeling a person or groups of people. Slandering individuals or groups of people doesn't honor God and has no place among people who really claim to follow Jesus. Fourth, I say focus on what you have in common, namely Christ. Like focus on the things that you can have in common. And, and like Jake said in the political talk that we did last week, like in, at least a lot of times when we, when we have a, a different opinions, we at least agree on the problem. Like you can agree upon the problem. And more so, as followers of Christ, we have someone more or greater that we can put our hope in, someone that we all agree upon. And where we find our agreement is our Christ being our Lord. And finally, and this one is the most important, set apart Christ as Lord in your life. Make Jesus your Lord and cultivate your love for God. We really need to be settled in our hearts and our minds that Jesus is Lord. And when Jesus has his rightful throne in our place and we've exalted him to the highest place, we see the world far differently. He's the Lord of everything. We need to surrender to him. He's our Lord and we need to exalt him as the head of this body. So I would challenge us today to make Jesus our head so that we can be his body. Will you join with me in prayer? 
God, we are inspired today by Paul's thing that motivated him, his passion in his life to see this type of reconciliation take place by a guy who planted multi-ethnic churches and sacrificed so much and made peace offerings and raised money and did campaigns to do anything he could to bring together uh, people. We pray that in this time, uh, particularly in this coming week ahead, that we as a body would be united, that we would make every effort, that we would do everything in our part, our power to keep unity within our church at Midtown. And mostly we pray that as we do that, the manifold wisdom, your manifold wisdom would be displayed to our city, to our friends. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.